Imagine being the parent of a child that goes missing via alien abduction. How do you explain this to the police? What do you tell your neighbors? Everyone will think you're crazy. But this happened to a family while camping in the Colorado mountains in the summer of 1969. As shocking as that may sound, the resolution of the story is even more unbelievable. Welcome, welcome, welcome into a bonus episode of Killing, Missing, Hidden. I've got a really unusual one for you. As always, my name is Brad. I'm the host of this show. It, you probably know that since this is only going to our special subscribers of KMH+. I hope you enjoy this story. I honestly, I, I, I don't know that I've ever done this. I may have done it once before, but this is taken totally from one source because I could not find any other sources verifying or even discussing this case. So it's from a blogger and true crime writer by the name of Jason Morton. And he provides no links to support the story. He claims that it came from a dump of classified files the government declassified recently. He published a story on January 18th, I believe. So it's it's rather new, but I'm actually going to... I'm, I'm just going to go through his account and share it with you and leave it to you whether or not you find it believable. As always, thank you for being a member here. We really appreciate it. Every little bit of support helps, even if it's just a five-star review or sharing it with your friends. But what y'all are doing goes above and beyond, and I can't really... Can't really thank you enough. So we are going to get into the story of Marjorie and Michael Tyler right now. Now, first off, please forgive me if I sound a little disjointed because I'm not reading from a script as I typically do, or at least from an outline. I'm just going straight from this article. So we're getting it sort of from the horse's mouth here. But uh, that has a chance to be a little problematic. Uh, as far as the way I present it, so hopefully y'all will be patient with me. So anyway, our story begins on April 12, 1969, in the early morning hours of a campsite in the Colorado mountains at the base of Jagged Peak. This is one of the more remote mountain areas in Colorado. Now again, Marjorie and Michael Tyler are the parents here, and Michael was only four weeks away from shipping off to Vietnam. And he wanted to spend as much time with his family, particularly his son, Trent, who is nine years old. So that's why they went camping this particular weekend. Now, on the morning of August 12th at 4 a.m., everyone was asleep when Michael woke up and he went outside the tent. Nature called. He had to take care of some business, you know. So as he's standing there, enjoying the night sky and the probably cooler temperatures, he notices that it's kind of unusually bright around their campsite for four in the morning. And as he looked around, he noticed that this light wasn't coming from some sort of ground-based source. It was coming from an air-based source. 
So he poked around a little bit looking for his source, but, you know, they're in the middle of the woods, tree lines obscuring everything, and he couldn't see what was causing this until he decided to return to his tent and he saw the top of something kind of float above the tree line. And then it became closer to their campsite. And he couldn't tell what it was, but his initial thought was there's a helicopter. And there had been rumors for a while that the military was conducting tests in these mountains, be it, you know, just training exercises or what. So it didn't really bother him to see this helicopter. When he got into the tent, he accidentally woke up his wife and Marjorie saw the lights and decided, you know, she was curious and poked her head out of the tent and saw the lights as they were leaving. And she would say that they were moving away at a remarkable seed, much faster than what she thought a helicopter could travel. But anyway, you know, the whole excitement's gone, so they go back to sleep, wake up the next morning. Michael goes to get Trent up, and Trent won't come out of his tent. And, you know, Michael's kind of yelling and beating on the side of the tent and all that, and there's no response. So he opens up the tent, and Trent's not there. He's just gone. Marjorie kind of freaks out, but also keeps her cool. And she's like, all right, well, there's got to be signs that we can find here. You know, let's look for his footprints to see where he went. And they did find his footprints. They were headed south from their campsite. And so Michael said, look, you stay here in case he comes back. I'm going to follow these tracks. And Michael ended up hiking four miles to a mountain road when the tracks just kind of ended. And so he hitched a ride into town to report his son missing. The, the sheriff's office responded. It was the San Juan County Sheriff's Office. And they picked up Marjorie and Michael and took them back for questioning. They were put in separate rooms, as is often the case, so they can make sure they get a consistent story and know where the discrepancies are. And both of them give their statements, and the cops find their story odd. You know, kids don't just wander away like this. And so there were several involved in the investigation that were thinking something kind of not so good was going on here. So I kept him there for about an hour, asking him questions, make him, you know, circle back around, tell the story backwards, all the things they do to try to make sure that they're, the story they're receiving is either the truth or the truth as these individuals believe it. After about an hour, Marjorie is sitting in the interview room alone, waiting for this to end, when a man in what she described as a cheap black suit walked in with a deputy. And she looks up and she goes, do you have news? Have you found my son? And the stranger in the suit says, no, ma'am, we have not found him yet. But would you mind recounting your statement for me? Now, she found something kind of odd about this man. But she didn't know what it was. She couldn't put her finger on it. And it bothered her that, you know, she keeps having to tell the story rather than hearing about deputies out looking for her son. So she kind of objects. She says, I've already told you my story multiple times. And the man in black says, I understand. So I'll get to the point. Tell me about the tracks you found. And she got worried at this because... 
she saw Trent's footprints, but she did admit that she saw animal tracks around them. And so she says, you know, look, we were trying to find Trent. I shined my flashlight on the ground and I noticed my son's footprints and some other tracks in the dirt. And the man says, you know, that's fine. Would you, would you draw those, those prints for me as best as you could? And so she's doodling and it kind of dawns on her that this must be odd if they're asking her to draw it. So she says, it, is this, is this an animal's footprint? Have, have you seen this before? And the man in the suit says, I, I don't know yet. I need to see the track. She goes, you're not with the police, are you? And he goes, no, but you really don't need to ask anything further for your own sake. So she finished her sketch, gave it to the man. He showed it to the deputy he was with, and the two talked about the prints of the campsite. And the deputy said, it's another one of those, is it in? And the man in the suit nodded, and he goes, yeah, you, you can release the Tylers. And Marjorie's like, wait, I mean, I'm happy to go, but what about my son? We've got to find my son. And just kind of with the flippant, dismissive wave of his hand, the man in the suit says, we'll do everything we can as he walked out the door. Ten days later, on August 22nd, the Tylers were informed that the search had been called off. Now, to the sheriff's office credit, over 100,000 man hours had been logged in the search. Very rugged and dangerous terrain, and they had found no hint of what happened to, uh, to Trent. The federal authorities, you know, were of the opinion that the child would not be found. The local news was reporting kind of the same thing, you know, surviving that long in that sort of terrain. For such a young child, the odds of survival were virtually nothing. Of course, Michael and Marjorie are just devastated and sort of fell apart, which, you know, normal reaction, right? But, you know, the sad thing was Michael had to go off to war. He, he couldn't deal with this normally. And that left Marjorie alone, too. She's in this house with no one. There's no Michael there's no Trent, it's just her, and she doesn't know what happened. Now, she did her best to try to continue the search, but she didn't know how, really. And she poked around, she asked people, but she didn't get anywhere. About a year went by when she got the horrible news that Michael had been killed in action in Vietnam. Well, you know, this is two major and traumatic events that have impacted her life. And so she has to spend some time dealing with this. But this transforms into her, you know, instead of her becoming a hermit or recluse while she tries to recover, it kind of reignites the passion in her. And she says, you know what? I've lost my husband. I'm not losing my son. I'm going to find him. And she just becomes obsessed with this. She, you know, tries to work with governmental authorities. They all say, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. You know, why don't you need to grieve right now instead of focusing on this? 
And she became combative and accused the government agents of, you know, working against her, basically. They knew where her son was. They weren't telling her, blah, blah, blah. She, you know, did her best on her own. She practiced and practiced and practiced until she could recreate the the what she thought were animal footprints to a higher degree of artistic quality, for lack of a better term. And... You know, she began to think about it compared to her son's footprints. And she noticed that they were so much bigger than her son's size 8 tennis shoe footprint. And the, those, uh, those animal footprints fell on either side of Trent's footprints. So in other words... Every time you see one of Trent's footprints, you're going to have these unidentified footprints straddling it on both feet. So I don't know. I, that makes one think that there was two animals following him and following very closely. She made flyers and things like that that included this information. And she noticed, like, when she would go around town and, and camping areas and things like that, she would hang up the flyers, but they would never stay up long. So she kind of did a bit of a sting operation and hung up flower, flyers at a campground and then watched. And she noticed that several hours later, a car pulled up and two men in black suits got out and pulled the flyers down. Now, by the summer of 1972, Marjorie was officially under investigation and was named as the prime suspect in Trent's missing case slash probable murder. Nothing ever really came of that, fortunately, for her, but it did cause her to become kind of ostracized in the community. Neighbors stopped associating with her. She lost a lot of friends. And so to deal with this grief, she decided to write a book. And she didn't just think, this was not a book about Trent. This was a book kind of in the missing 411s vein. You know, weird dis disappearances around the world, including Trent's, that she had researched. And she ended up spending a lot of money on this, uh, possibly exhausting her life savings. She, but in the process, she became kind of known throughout the world as an expert on this topic. And what she, the topic was, and what she came to believe in the course of researching and writing her book is that all of these missing persons were the result of alien abductions. And so she was considered an expert on encounters with the gray aliens. Now, she had a very small audience, but a very passionate audience. And most of the world really didn't take her seriously, but those who did really bought into what happened to her and supported her a lot. Now, she went on the talks or, you know, the convention circuit. She did a lot of talks. She was invited to lots of panel discussions and things like that. But she never really got any closer to finding her son. That is until January 22nd of 2022. 
So that's what, 50 years later? From her, from her writing the book, um, you know, 50 plus years since Trent went missing. So Marjorie's sitting at home one day. She's 84. So she's got a kind of daytime nurse and caregiver. When, and she's allegedly, you know, is contemplating the last 50 years of her life, her husband's death, her son missing everything she's been through. And, you know, even though her body was breaking down on her, she was proud that she had never given up. And, but because of her physical limitations at this point, her only recourse left in her mind was to pray. So she would pray every day for her son, not, not necessarily to return. She just wanted to know what happened to her son. And this was never published, but apparently upon her death, investigators come in and notice that she keeps a journal. And on the January 22nd entry, she says the following, and I'm quoting from this article, who in turn is quoting from her, uh, from the police notes that quote from her diary. So a quote of a quote of a quote. <laughs> I gave the nurse the rest of the weekend off. I don't know if I'll be here when she comes back to work on Monday, but at my age, that might be more merciful. I've been alone for so very long. I can only hope that my time comes sooner than later and I'm able to rejoin my boys. After a lifetime of searching for Trent, I'm no longer convinced that the answers are here in this world. Perhaps they're in the next. Somebody is knocking on my door. Her next journal entry is dated January 22nd, but this time with a time entry of 9 p.m. And the writing allegedly is much more fanatic and rambling. And this is what it says. And again, I'm, I'm quoting a quote of a quote of a quote of a quote. <laughs> He's so tired that I covered him up on the sofa. When I opened the door to see who was there, the small, waifish, thin little boy of about nine stood there. He looked up at me, then looked back towards the woods. I could see them there, waving at him. They were the weirdest fellows you could imagine. They must have been eight feet tall, and their heads were elongated. They all had black eyes that glowed even in the night. Not a stitch of clothing on in this weather. So they had to be insane. Their skin, however, was the oddest color. I imagine because they had no clothes and it was 20 degrees outside. But they appeared bluish gray from head to toe. I looked down at the little boy and I thought I was seeing a ghost. And until he called me mommy. I don't know why or how, but they brought back my Tyler to me. It's been more than 50 years, and he hasn't aged. He hasn't grown. He's the same Tyler I remember. Now, allegedly, this journal was, when it was collected by law enforcement, was turned over to the FBI, who elevated it up all the way to President Biden, 
who decide it need to be classified and sealed in the National Archives. Marjorie passed away three days later. Her nurse and caregiver and arguably her friend was a woman by the name of Cecilia Andrews. And she was there in the cabin when Marjorie died. She was the one that alerted him that Marjorie had passed away. But she disappeared about two months later. Marjorie had left everything to Cecilia. All the money she had made from the books she had sold and the conventions she had been paid to speak at and whatnot. It, it amounted to almost $5 million. And she just vanished with it. So local authorities listed Cecilia, it says here, as a wanted fugitive, probably just a person of interest in reality. And they wanted to know if she had any information on this nine-year-old boy. There have been reports that she's been seen traveling with a nine-year-old boy. Uh, there's no records, according to what sheriff's deputies could dig up, that Cecilia had ever given birth to a child, period. So, that is the story of Trent Tyler, who goes missing in 1969, reappears in 2022, and then runs off with his mother's caregiver, having not aged a day. I tried my best to research this. So far as I can, I could find no articles discussing a boy missing by the name of Trent Tyler in Colorado or anywhere in the Rocky Mountain area. I could find nothing of a Marjorie Tyler being a published author, uh, any books that she had written, nothing about her being an alien expert. I could not find a Michael Tyler dying in Vietnam, but I also don't have an age range, and that's a fairly common name. So I guess it's more I could say, I can find Michael Tyler's that died. I don't know that I can find the right one. So I don't know if this story is a work of fiction or if it really is true and the only source the author has is that top secret document. Again, this is Jason Morton. I'm not passing any judgment on him. I just find the story to be very interesting. Even if it's not true, it's a fun read. Uh, but again, this gentleman has a blog. He writes on Medium and on other locations. I found the story on Medium. So I just wanted to share it with y'all. So uh, what, what do we think? Y'all give me some feedback on this one. And if y'all are aware of any sources that indicate this is a true story, it's a remarkable true story. I mean, to have a not, your nine-year-old boy disappear in the 60s, reappear in the 2020s, and having not aged today, it would uh, mess with your mind a little bit. So, I hope y'all enjoyed that. Like I said, just a little bonus episode. I read the article and I was like, well, I gotta share this. But I can't do a proper episode on it because there's no research materials to go by, no resources. It's just the word of this one author. So, with that, I will be saying adieu. 
I hope you enjoy. And until we meet again, y'all be cool. Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.